0: Good morning again to be, uh, to be sharing God's word with you again and I appreciate the men who have uh, been preaching, uh, either in my absence or, uh, or while I've been here, enjoyed God's uh, sermon last week and uh, yeah, but it's always good to be behind here sharing God's word, it's always a privilege and an honour. We're going to continue the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Beatitudes this morning, we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12 we'll be reading and, um, and by the grace of God we'll uh, finish what was called the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses, and we'll see what the Lord has, uh, has to say to us today. Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12 together, shall we? And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you once again for this uh, blessed time where we can look into your word and we thank you for it. Father, we have such a privilege of having your word in such abundance and Lord, we are rich indeed uh, with resources and rich with your word, Father, for there are many in this world who do not have it, and we just thank you for it, and I pray that we would um, appreciate what we have, that we would continue to, to look to it, that we might be refined, Lord, to be uh, more of the people you would have us to be. Father, we would grow in grace and maturity, that through your word and its effect in our lives, that we would be um, Father, lights in this world, that will be the salt of the earth. they would make a difference in this place, Father, as the ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. We thank you once again for this time. We pray that our hearts would be open to your truth. I pray that you bless me as I share this word. and Father, we do all these things because we love you and we want to honor you. And, we, and Father, we pray that our, our Lord and our Savior Jesus will be lifted up in this message today. In His name, we pray. looking at the last three. Points of this particular passage, uh, We're looking at the pure in heart, uh, the peacemakers and um, those who suffer persecution for what they believe in. And when we look at this world and, and when you look at those three particular things, there are, there are three particular uh, things that, that stick out to me. When we talk about purity, there are very few things in this world that we would consider pure. Because most things in this world are tainted by one thing or another, and it's a bit like you know the the, the scripture verse that says that there's a fly in the ointment, or there's there's water that's become uh, putrid. Um, our world uh, has very little purity about it. Um, even our children these days are indoctrinated. Uh, seem to be the the focus of uh, of this world's corruption in terms of what the media and what the, um, and what the world tries to do to actually make them lose their purity and their innocence from a very early age. There is an attack destined by Satan in this world to destroy the purity of people very quickly. Um, and children themselves aren't necessarily pure because we know that they are inherent uh, with certain traits and certain problems that they've inherited from their parents and certain personalities and are bent to sin But what the world does and what the devil seeks to do is to bring that out as quickly as possible and to corrupt them as quickly as possible. There's very little that's pure in this world. Um, We can trust the purity of God's word, but there are very few pure churches in this world. And I'm not saying that our church is is particularly pure in a sense because every church has people within it that are impure. Every church will have um, people that are in it that that need fixing, that need helping. And in a sense, if church was a place just for pure, um, then there wouldn't be any need for me to be preaching this this message to you this morning. Church is a place where we seek to become pure. Church is a place where where those who are impure have the opportunity to, to go and are introduced to the one who actually can make them pure. And that's the, uh, the point of this particular place, this morning, and why we meet. Sin takes all things in this world. In fact, you may, when we look at the world, and often we speak of governments, okay? we speak of governments in terms of whether they do things that are good or whether they do things that are bad. But even when we try to distinguish those, those two things and we, make, we pass judgement on our governments and, and, and their policies, um, all of those policies are tainted with some sort of motive, with some sort of um, uh, agenda, with some sort of you know, uh, trying to win votes, or it may be, maybe they, they, they're not in it for the right thing. And we'll talk a bit about purity in a second. But peace is also a thing that's very, very fragile in this world. and It's, very, it's a very rare thing to find true peace. Often people, we look at our world and we look at Australia and we might say, oh, we're a fairly peaceful nation. Would you, would you regard us as a peaceful nation? Uh, when we compare ourselves to other nations, yeah, there, there is a fair amount of peace. And I'll put that in inverted commas for a second because those countries which we also consider peaceful, um, when certain things and certain conditions aren't met just right, um, the peace breaks down very quickly. And we find rights taking place and people unhappy and, and, and all things going wrong. Um, and we see these things happen time and time again all over the world. Um, the, we we need to be careful about um, thinking that um, that the only place that doesn't that you know that where peace is uh, is broken is in the Middle East somehow. There is uh, there is a lack of peace everywhere in the world. Everywhere in the world, and that's because primarily people aren't at peace themselves. When the citizens of a country aren't at peace within themselves in terms of the peace they have, they have with God and the peace they have as they, as they live their, their own lives, then there cannot be a peace in a country. It's as simple as that. And we'll look a bit more about peace in a moment. But one thing there is plenty of in this world is persecution. Not much peace, not much purity, but there is plenty of persecution. And not just persecution towards the saints, and we know that that's an obvious truth because there are literally um, dozens of organisations that track the amount of Christians that are being killed, persecuted, tortured, um, and all, all manner of uh, of different things that uh, that are done to them. Um, but the funny thing is that persecution doesn't just exist from the unsaved to the saved, or from the or from the you know the 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 the, the evil to the good. Persecution exists between everyone, all different groups all over the world. And it's often because of the power struggle. It's often the powerful preying on the weak. So wherever power exists, it seems as if that old adage that says, you know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, is is actually a very true statement. Because men are sinful by nature. So even someone who may have started off well, with good intentions, once they have a certain amount of power and they believe that they have the, um, the, the mandate to carry out something, you will find that eventually they will corrupt, or that power will corrupt them completely and persecution begins. I've mentioned that during our, um, uh, our talks on um, Revelation, that whenever you find a government um, linking itself or joining itself with a religion doesn't matter which religion it is because Christianity apparently was the same same thing. It becomes corrupted when when a religion or a faith is actually connected with a government because then all of a sudden um, the government starts to enforce rules and regulations on people who don't believe those things and Christianity was never meant to be joined up with a government even, even um, uh, what's his name, Calvin, who sought to create in Switzerland a, a perfect uh, Christian government. Think of this. You had a perfect, everyone was meant to be Christian. Was it Geneva? Yeah. Okay, so Calvin, with all his, you know, he's a very intelligent man, a phenomenal intelligence. He sought to start a theocracy in the world and make it a Christian one. Good idea, I suppose. It was, uh, was noble, the, the idea to have a Christian. I mean, there was plenty of persecution going on all around the world against people who were different to the Catholic Church at that stage. So he thought to himself, I'm going to start something like this. So he set up the government and the councils and things of that nature. And then guess what? You know, If you didn't go to church on a Sunday morning, there'd be someone knocking on your door. Then they started beating people if they did certain things they weren't allowed to do. And before long, what do you have? didn't work. And that's because Christianity was not meant to be a government. It was not meant to be uh, an enforceable law upon people. And this is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. See, we have and represent, we have the kingdom of God within us, the Bible says, when, when, when they said, where is the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Um, this is the whole point of, of this particular passage. Because if you look at, if you look at the, the, um, the, the characteristics and then the, the promise that goes along with it. For example, it says, they that mourn shall be comforted. Well, the kingdom of God does not have mourning in it, does it? But yet there's mourning over here. And the meek shall inherit the earth. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Well, they shall be filled. Merciful. Yeah, they'll obtain mercy. But there's persecution in there as well. Which means one thing that's guaranteed for the Christian, one thing that's guaranteed for those people who have chosen to follow Christ, is that this world is not your home. It's not our home. And that's been true from the day The Lord instituted this this truth and the church started at Pentecost up until today. Has anything changed? There are some some denominations and some theologians who actually believe that one day the whole world will become Christian. Um, That's a nice thought. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone became Christian and slowly, slowly the kingdom of God spread and everyone heard the gospel and everyone became Christian? But 2,000 years on, you have to really think that that was really a a silly idea. It's man's idea. It's a bit like Peter saying to the Lord, Lord, heaven forbid you go to the cross. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And the truth of the matter is, there is no guarantee. Well, actually, there is a guarantee that the world will not be Christianised. There is a guarantee about that. The Lord says, when I return, shall I find faith? The answer to that one is no. Ever wonder what the answer to that passage is? The answer is no. He will not find faith in this world. In fact, it will progressively get worse and worse and worse. So let's have a look at the rest of these um, rest of these uh, things today, and let's start with the, with the pure in heart. Verse eight says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." The pure in heart. Well, the definition of a pure in, of someone who's pure in heart means a singleness of heart. It, mean, it means it's one, it has one direction, one focus. It isn't, it isn't shared amongst a thousand things. Remember uh, that old, um, there's a, actually a scripture verse, uh, not a scripture verse, there's a, there's a tract that talks about you know, Christ giving, uh, being given the throne of your heart. And the person who, who's unsaved sits on the, the throne of their own heart. And then when you accept Christ and make him your Lord and Saviour, or accept him as Lord and Saviour, he sits in the throne of your heart and he becomes the focus of your life. And all these other things all fade into the background, regardless of what it is, whether it's money or wealth or, or other relationships or um, your, own, your own self even. Those who appear in heart have a singleness of heart, which means their focus is on Christ. purity of heart suggests that someone is honest it doesn't have a hidden motive or agenda behind it someone who is pure in heart if they're doing something for someone else aren't doing it with a selfish motive behind there's no selfish interests, and it's true and open in all things a pure heart has nothing to hide a pure heart reveals itself fully it's not there trying to cover things up, keep things secret. A pure heart is happy to reveal whatever's there. It's an open book. And Psalm 24.3 says, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. So, it's one of the qualities necessary to see God, isn't it? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who shall ascend? Well, it says those who have a pure heart shall ascend. The problem is for mankind is that no one has a pure heart. So how is that scripture even valid? The scriptures teach that the heart is deceitful above all things. Well, how can those two scriptures be true then? If the the only man who will actually stand before God and can ascend up to the hill of the Lord which is heaven is a man with a pure heart. But the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Not just wicked. Desperately wicked. You know someone who's desperate? Ever been desperate? You will do anything to get away or to get to. Someone who is on drugs okay, and is desperate for their next fix. Someone who has an addiction and is desperate to have that want and that need fulfilled. Think about desperate. Well, the Bible says the heart of all men, of every man, is desperate to sin. It knows really nothing else. And then it says, who can know it? The heart is the source of sin for all people. It's the place from which sin comes forth. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth, because he was talking to his disciples about things going in and people being defiled and, and, the, um, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were saying, well, how, how dare you wash or eat food without washing your hands first? You're defiling yourself or you're eating things that, that aren't right. Um, Jesus says, well, it's not the things that go into the mouth that defile a man. It's the things that come out of the mouth that defile a man because they come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So how is a person to have a pure heart? When the Bible tells us expressly that every man is a sinner, falls short of the glory of God, and it says that the heart that is within us already is desperately wicked, it means you have to have your heart cleansed. You have to go to the one who is pure himself and be purified. To have a pure heart means (coughs) you need to be given a new one. But the physical heart that you have here, yes, it's not a physical exchange. When we speak about the heart, we're not talking about that organ that pumps blood around your body. When we speak of the heart, we speak of your essence, your inner person. That which makes you you as a person. And in order for you to have a pure heart, God has to give you a new one. And that can only be done by the blood of Christ. And God gives us new natures. So that we can love, so that we can do righteous things in our lives. Turn with me to first Peter chapter one, please. First Peter one chapter uh, sorry verse twenty two says this seeing ye have purified your souls, in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Those who are able to love with a pure heart have to first have their souls purified. Notice, notice, the, notice the sequence of these things. He says, Seeing, which means you've already done this thing, you've purified your souls by obeying the truth. What's the truth? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You've admitted you are a sinner. You understand that and you throw yourself at the mercy of, of God's grace, God's love, And you accept the sacrifice that was made on your behalf and you put your full trust that God can save you by what Christ did for you on the cross. It says you've obeyed the truth and then it says, see, now that you've done all that, now that you've been purified, do this, love one another with a pure heart fervently. You can't do it without your heart being purified in the first place and your soul being cleansed. By the blood of Christ. And then he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed. Corrupt, not of corruptible seed. That's an interesting one. When you are born again, the seed that God has planted within you, that new nature that you have is not corruptible. It's, It's incorruptible. It cannot be changed. It is perfect. And it's by the word of God. That seed that was planted within us, that new nature that God gave us is not corruptible and it lives and abides forever by the word of God and by the dwelling of the Holy Spirit the pure in heart are those who have been purified by the one who is pure in most things in our, in our lives if you take something pure like pure water And you bring it in contact with something that's impure, what happens to the pure water? It becomes impure. God is amazing though, in that we who are impure, that God can take something that's tainted and impure and 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 corrupted, and then as soon as we touch that which is pure, we are purified. That's what happens to someone who gets saved. It's a bit like Isaiah, who says, "You know, oh, I'm a man of sin, and I dwell in a people of, you know, of uh, of sin and iniquity." And God takes a coal from the altar in heaven and He touches it on His tongue and says, "There, you're clean. It had to be burned." One day, our old nature, which still dwells, floats around, and we struggle with from time to time. The Bible says will not exist any longer it will die with our physical bodies and the only thing that will be left the only thing that will be left is that new incorruptible nature that God has planted within us that's what's going to be left there will be no more struggle there will be, no be no more fighting sin in our lives that which God planted within us will be revealed fully Looking forward to that day, are you? The beautiful thing about that is the Bible says that, that someone who is pure in heart longs to see God. The citizens of God's kingdom have a longing to see their king face to face. Don't they? We haven't seen our king face to face. We know we have one. We know that he lives within our hearts but don't you long for the day when we'll see his faith. I do. When I see the nail prints in his hands and his feet, and I'll see him as he is. And the Bible says on that day, I will, be, I will have the same nature as him. I will be fully clothed in righteousness. The one distinguishable characteristic of the Christian faith and those who have put their faith in Christ is a longing to see their king. You know other religions you look at other religions in the world, and if you ask if you ask most of them their desire about when they die and the reward they 're going to get you know that some of them have planets that, that they 've been promised and wives that they 've been promised and rivers of, of all, you know water and wine and whatever else it is and they 're all looking forward to you know up, upgrading on the uh, uh, what 's it called on the the scale of things and you know being improved and All this sort of stuff, or going into the ether and never existing again. Most religions in the world, in fact, almost all religions of the world, the people in that religion are looking forward to a reward. The thing that makes us different, the thing that makes Christianity different, is that, you know something, the streets of gold don't interest me you think I'm going to be noticing the pavement under my feet when I've got the shining light in front of me? When I have the one who gave his, himself for me, when the, when the one who loved me beyond my understanding died on that cross for me and is the sole reason I can walk a, pay, a gold pavement in heaven. The one who did build the mansion for me. The one who secured my, my hope and my eternal destiny the one who bought my salvation, the one who came down from his throne in heaven and endured suffering for my sake, do you think even the angels are going to be a a, a destruction for me? Because I'm going to be there with him. And that's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. Non-Christian waits to get into heaven and play a harp. I'm looking forward to playing a harp. I'm looking forward to seeing my king. And you can do that. And you can do that when you believe you have a pure heart. Because if you don't have a pure heart, if you don't believe that you have a pure heart, then you shy away from wanting to see your king. Because you're afraid of what he's going to say to you. Do you long to see your king? If you don't, there may be something wrong with your heart this morning have you thought about that is there something you're harboring in your heart that you know you can't bring to heaven but you know that he sees it already there and so you're ashamed John says in his first letter beloved now are we the sons of God now not, not later we are the sons of God now and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, there is a day when, when all this we're going to be revealed fully. But we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. There is a way there is a way to judge or test the purity of your heart, and that is how much do you long to see Christ? If this world has such a hold on you that you don't think about seeing him or wanting to see him, then the, then the odds are that your heart is shrouded with your own selfishness and the, the nature, the old nature that you have is much stronger than your new one. You're spending too much time feeding the old nature and not enough time nurturing the new one. Or it could very well be that you're not saved at all. Because one of the things that, that I believe truly is that someone who has been saved by Christ and has experienced the love of God, who has, who has had an encounter with Jesus Christ himself, never stays the same. They can't be the same. So tell me, where does your heart sit today? Look at the peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, those who are peacemakers can make peace because they follow the Prince of Peace. And Jesus is the author of peace. God is a God of peace. He's not a God of disorder and disharmony. God is a God of peace and order. So how how do the children of God, or how do the sons of God make peace? How are they peacemakers? Turn to Romans chapter twelve, verse eighteen. Romans twelve eighteen says, "If it be if it be possible." That's an interesting. Starting for a. Uh, for a verse, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Interesting passage that one there. As much as lieth in you, if it be possible. um, Well, basically, this particular passage is saying, Don't repay evil for evil. In other words, it's saying, Expect evil to come your way. Expect it. Expect that you will have enemies. Not enemies that you created, but enemies that have come upon you. People that see you as an enemy, even though you may not want to be an enemy. The Bible says you will have enemies simply by calling yourself a disciple of Christ. But living at peace means that we're able to demonstrate love toward them even though they will demonstrate hatred towards us. Now, that's a hard thing to do. We struggle with that idea, to give someone something they don't deserve. So if your enemy someone who absolutely hates you, who wants you to go down, who would rather see you dead... Is suffering, the Bible says we are to go out of our way to help that person. Is that an easy thing to do? No, that's not an easy thing to do. Because the first excuse we're going to give is I don't have time even to go and help that person. I'm too busy doing other stuff. The problem is the Christians, and the thing which I see all too often within Christianity is that we don't even do it with our brethren let alone our enemies. We count enemies, our enemies, within our own congregations. We count enemies. And then we don't do what the scripture says, which is actually help them and seek for their good. If we understand anything about grace, it's this. It's that grace goes out of its way to do good to those who don't deserve it. Do you understand that? Because that's what God did with us. And God now wants us to live by grace too. To extend grace to those who don't deserve it. We need to be very careful that we don't only do good to those who do good to us. And Jesus says, well, if you only do good to those who do good to you, what, are you better than the Pharisees who also do the same and the publicans who do the same thing? Because anyone, anyone in this world, the unsaved, the saved, whoever they are, always do good to people who do good to them, don't they? So when we do good only to those who we think are nice to us or good to us, we are no better than the Pharisees and the Sadducees who did exactly the same thing. The real mark of a Christian is whether they can actually do good to people who hate them. The problem is we actually spend our time pointing the finger at each other finding fault and then classifying different different people depending on whether they fit into my circle or not well that's not christianity the bible says to overcome evil with good overcome it in other words you do so much good that the evil just disappears and there's no excuse for them to hate you anymore that's what we're meant to be doing that takes my friends a lot of effort. The Bible says we had to live at peace, not just with the outside world, but with this world in here. Because when we congregate, you think about this, each one of you and myself are ambassadors in the world, ambassadors. So when we meet together, this is this is a meeting and a strategizing of the ambassadors of Christ or the ambassador of the kingdom of heaven so we can then go out into the world and do what we're meant to be doing. This is what we're doing. But if the ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven squabble and fight and there's bitterness and strife amongst ourselves, how on earth can we possibly be the ambassadors of, of heaven to this earth? The scripture tells us, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace and joy. For he that hath these things serveth Christ, is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. And things wherewith one may edify one another. In other words, build each other up. That's what we should be chasing after. Chase after those things which help to build one another up. So we do have, when we come into church, we do go away and leave these doors with an energy and an excitement about wanting to serve God and do those things, because it should be hard enough out there to live this life. Not in here. In here should be a time when we actually build one another up. In everything we do, we should always seek the better of our brother before our own good. In in anything that affects the spiritual walk of our brethren should be the, 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 their good and their spiritual growth should be the primary motive of our life, to build them up. And loving your brothers and sisters in the Lord leads to peace. A, Christian, a, Christian, a Christian's heart should be more tender to the needs and the pains and the hurt of their brothers and sisters than those of the world. Unfortunately, sometimes people in the world seem to be more sensitive to other people's plights than ourselves. We need to be better. We need to show more consideration, more care, more love. We should be so much more than what we are today. And we fall short all too often. We should be the peacemakers in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our communities. We cannot possibly bring, bring peace and promote peace out there in this world If there is no peace in here. James says it, because it existed in the early church as well. There was strife in the Corinthian church. There was strife, and James says it, he says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Think of that. That passage there is such a beautiful example of how we are to be with one another. Peaceable, pure, gentle, easy to be treated. Easy to be treated. In other words, if someone's done something wrong against you or someone has a disagreement with you, you're easy to... You're someone who listens, not someone who puts the wall up and says, I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. Yes, those who are peacemakers need to be peacemakers within themselves within their churches and families first and then finally we are to be the peace we have to be the ones who bring peace into this world and we do that by sharing the gospel of peace Romans 5 1 says therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ we have obtained peace because the gospel that we heard we accepted and it changed our lives And we're called to share that same gospel to this world. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We We are the carriers of this peace. We have within ourselves and carry a message that should bring peace to this world if we don't have the peace within ourselves we can't carry the message and if we don't know the message we can't share the message so our challenge is to be what God has called us to be but there is a dichotomy here there is a dichotomy there's a problem we have because Jesus says in Matthew he says think not that I am come to send peace on the earth I am not I came not to send peace but a sword. Now hang on see. Isn't he the Prince of Peace? Yet he's saying here, he, he actually came to bring a sword to this earth. And he says, For I am, ca- I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. How can we be peacemakers when the one we follow says, I've, I'm bringing a sword? I've bought a sword. And there's going to be conflict. Everywhere there are children of God, there will be conflict. And there'll be conflict within their own households. How can we, we be peacemakers when it would seem. That wherever the someone who proclaims Christ or, or follows Christ brings division. Now well, Jesus did bring a sword, and that sword, which where is that sword normally directed? The question is who's holding the sword, and it's not us. It should never be us. We don't hold the sword. The sword is normally pointing in our direction. If you live a life for Christ, yes, you will be persecuted. And that's that we're leading on to the, uh, the next one. But unfortunately, when you stand for the truth, you will suffer persecution. There will be conflict. But the question is how you then handle that conflict. Because if you handle it the way that the scripture says, that we are to live peaceably with all men, you don't spend your time arguing. You don't spend your time fighting. You don't spend your time doing those things where the scripture says are not our place to do. We have to live peaceably, even with our families, even when they disagree with us. And while they disagree with us and while they may want to argue with us, we are not called to argue. We are called to live lives that are honouring to the Lord. We are called to live lives that glorify him. And in the spirit of meekness and love, we have to do that. And all the while praying for our families and our friends, knowing that, the grace of God can change people's lives. We must show patience. The beautiful thing is that those who are the peacemakers shall be called the children of God. The funny thing is that God has already called us his children. Hmm? Those who are peacemakers shall be called the children of God. That God has already called us his children. But there will, there will, there will come a day when the world will will call us the children of God. At the moment, we're not recognised as the children of God. But one day, the world will recognise who we are. The Bible says we'll be revealed as the children of God. And things will be very plain that day. And finally, they are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men... Shall revile you and persecute you and shall shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Recently at work, and we work in the aged care industry. The government has introduced something called mandatory reporting. Anyone heard of that? Mandatory reporting? Okay. Okay. And in terms of working in an aged care facility, where you have old people that are, you know, that are that are living in there every day of their lives, um, there's a thing called elder abuse. Okay, and elder abuse, as we've as we've looked at this particular topic, and the government has set up the standards for what abuse actually is. They've defined it. Okay, what mandatory reporting means that if even a cleaner Right? Who's, a, who's not even in that organisation, who's in there and might be cleaning the room, notices that the resident in that room has suffered some physical abuse, verbal abuse, financial abuse, psychological abuse. It's all these different types of things that they can, they can suffer. Someone can, be, someone can put pressure on people or on someone else in a physical way, can't they? They can hit them, they can, they can restrain them and force them to be doing things physically because they're stronger. Elderly, the elderly people are very vulnerable, okay? they're more vulnerable than younger people to physical abuse. But then there's emotional abuse as well, there's financial abuse. Elderly people may not understand fully what's going on with their own finances especially if they have dementia. And if, someone, if a family member who is a little bit unscrupulous wants to take advantage, they actually can. The, the, and and the, the law of this land now states that if a cleaner or someone or anyone else who sees any type of abuse going on, they have not just, uh, the, not just the, the, the opportunity to, to share it, they are actually obligated to share it. If a cleaner or someone else who works in that facility says, oh, they've noticed some bruising on that, on that person that wasn't there yesterday, and maybe they've started to withdraw themselves because of what, what they're suffering as a result of whoever... And it could be one of the staff members over there who are, who are treating them badly. But there are different types. I mean, sexual abuse is another one as well. If, if anyone notices anything that's going wrong, they have an obligation to actually report it immediately to someone in, higher, in, in a higher place. If they don't... Right, If they don't report it and it's found out later on that that, that abuse was taking place and they, and they saw it or noticed something and didn't report it, you know who becomes liable to, to, a, um, to go to jail? That claim. That person. So there's a law that says if you don't report it and you saw it, you can go to jail. You can be fined for that. That's called That's called mandatory reporting. In other words, you have to report it. You, you don't have an option. My point with that is there are plenty of ways of being persecuted. Just as the government has recognised that a person can be, can be um, uh, abused or can be um, uh, endure um, uh, abuse physically, sexually, financially, emotionally, psychologically, the government recognised there are plenty of ways to abuse a person. There are plenty of ways to persecute a person as well. And persecution takes place in many different forms. If we look at the persecution that takes place in this world, it's not just people being, you know, having their heads chopped off or, or beaten with, uh, you know, with sticks. Persecution of Christians in this world is endured in many different ways. It can be verbal. It can be intimidation. It can be through lack of work. In other words, they're restricted from being able to do what they're meant to do. Most Christians in, uh, in the Middle East can't even open up a church and worship freely. There are plenty of ways for persecution to take place. It doesn't have to occur just with physical abuse. But there is plenty of it that occurs in this world. And the interesting thing is that the Bible says that we are going to suffer persecution. So we may not suffer persecution physically in this country. But if you're a Christian and you do stand up and, and make it known that you're a Christian, there is almost an implicit or explicit guarantee in Scripture that you will suffer some sort of persecution, whether it's people uh, using, making derogatory statements about you, treating you like a fool, uh, restricting you from working or ostracising you in the workplace, wherever else it may be, you will suffer persecution. If you never suffer any type of persecution, the odds are your Christianity is probably hidden in a closet somewhere. In Acts chapter 14, 22, it says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Just entering into the kingdom of God is... Tribulation in itself. It takes effort to get into the kingdom of God. When you do enter, it's through headaches and trials. Philippians says, For unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict when you saw in me and now here to be in me. And Paul was saying he was suffering persecution himself in prison. I was seeing that very thing in him. But he says that it's given to you, not just to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. That's a given. Timothy also says, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. scriptures are clear. They tell us over and over and over that we shall suffer persecution one way or another. Why is that? Because if you are pure in heart and you're a peacemaker, you don't fit in this world. You don't fit. Something that's pure doesn't fit in this world. Someone who seeks to, to make peace doesn't fit in this world, you see. Have you ever noticed when people have a fight in the city? You know those, you know those stories of those guys beating each other up when they're out on a Saturday night and they're all intoxicated and, they, and, and two groups of guys get together and they start belting the living valets out of each other and, and people end up in hospital and some people end up dying. Have you noticed that the ones who end up dying too often are the ones who are trying to break up a fight? Have you ever noticed that? That's extraordinary. So There's two guys beating each other up. The third guy goes and says, all right, guys, you know, try and, try and you know, separate, you know, he, he wants their good. He doesn't want them killed. And the next minute, they turn on him and beat the living daylights out of him. And he finds himself in hospital. Why is that? Because peacemakers aren't the, uh, the norm in this world. That which is pure doesn't fit in this world. And so those who are, have those two characteristics, indeed all the characteristics, the eight that we're speaking about over here, will suffer persecution. That's why Jesus finishes with that in the Beatitudes Expect it. Expect, if you have these things, if you're meek, if you're merciful, if you're a peacemaker, if you're pure, if you seek after righteousness, you do not fit. But make sure you fit somewhere. Make sure you fit somewhere. You either fit here in this world or you fit the characteristics of heaven. Make sure you fit somewhere. Don't play, don't think that heaven and earth are somehow you you can mix up the two and have both at the same time. In other words, you can can exhibit the characteristics of the world at the same time exhibit the characteristics of heaven. We are to be one way or the other. There is a, uh, uh, it finishes with rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There is good reason when you suffer persecution to be happy. A lot of reason to be happy because there's a reward for you in heaven and there is great company that you're with. Because everyone who went before you, who didn't fit the mould of this world, who was was seeking to be pure in heart and was a peacemaker and sought after righteousness, did not fit. From Abel at the beginning, do you remember what happened to Abel? He was just trying to follow God's God's ways. He ended up getting killed for what he did. To Christ, who died on the cross, who did not fit into this world to us today. The story has been the same from the beginning up till now. And will not change until Christ, until the kingdom of heaven actually comes down to earth and becomes... and And the Bible says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That's the only time when we won't be suffering all these things. And that's the time when we have to look forward to. Okay, let's close it up. They are pure in heart. In other words, they're seeking to please God with a singleness of heart. Those who are peacemakers are making peace not just with people in the outside world, but have peace within themselves and within their homes, within their churches. And then... There is persecution. And those who have and are being persecuted, the Bible says, are given the kingdom of God. But we cannot promote purity if we aren't pure ourselves. We cannot bring peace if we don't have peace within ourselves. We cannot endure persecution if we're the ones doing the persecuting. This is a remember I said to you this this passage this manifesto or you might call it a charter of the kingdom of God tells us what the kingdom of God and its citizens are like how do you and I match up to this to this standard if you don't match up at all are you a are you a citizen if all these things seem alien to you and you don't seem to have these things and my, my challenge for you today is to examine your heart and find out where you actually are. Who do you belong to? Do you belong to God? Do you belong to the, to the kingdom of heaven? Or do you belong to this earth? If you belong to this earth, then, you, then these things will be almost impossible for you to do. You might put a bit of a facade on, but deep down you know they are not you. And if you are a citizen of heaven... Don't get distracted by the things and the the delights of this world, the sin for a season and the distractions that the devil will try to put before you. Live as best as you possibly can to these standards. God has called us his citizens. He's called us his children. And God wants us to live as those citizens now. We can do it. God bless you. Thank you.